Hello everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Chronically the Podcast, not to be confused with Chronically the Ride, or like Chronically the hit Broadway musical. Uh, we are here today it's to... It's called di- Chronically Narnia. Well, I mean, like, eventually we're going to do something that's not Narnia, so I'm just trying to build the brand <laughs> early of being Chronically Podcast. You can't make these kind of changes <laughs> 17 episodes in. Well, welcome to... This particular iteration, which is Chronically Narnia, and today we are discussing Chapter 2 of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Welcome which... to Chronically the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Yes, and this <laughs> chapter is called What Lucy Found There. Where? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm Chris, also known as Salinas, and this is my co-host. Is that how you say it? I guess so. Because, like, Salinas is a city in California. It's a terrible city. Salinas? <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Salinas? Maybe. Salinas? I'm sure someone out there will correct, correct us, but who are you? Hi, <laughs> I'm Kristen, and I'm Mr. Tumnus's father. <laughs> who would never do such a thing? Never. Uh, so anyway, we're both, uh, sick. Very. Yeah, you can probably tell. So if you hear any, like, coughing sounds or anything, we'll, we'll try to edit those out, but they might slip through. No. And if this, uh, and if this podcast is disgusting to listen to, we apologize and we understand. And you can... No, we don't. (laughs) Because it is very possible to not be disgusting on recording. I can't stop myself from coughing. Yes, but you can stop the record when you need to cough. It's not like you're just going to suddenly cough. It's just like... It's, it's explosive coughing over here. Uh-huh. That'll happen. Anyway, uh, so let's dive into the chapter, shall we? Uh, this was... Uh, it felt like a long chapter to me uh, in comparison to a lot of the other chapters we've read so far. Again, we're only two into Lion, the Rich, and the Wardrobe, but this one felt like almost like a full-on chapter length and not just like a smattering of paragraphs but uh and so the first thing that we like to do when we're talking about the chapter is to summarize the chapter and we do that by taking sentences out of the chapter itself lifting them out of context and trying to create a plot structure essentially a a five sentence summary uh, so, Chris, do you want to go ahead and give us your summary first? Sure, I'll go ahead and do that. Mine is as follows. I'm very pleased to meet you, Mr. Tumnus, said Lucy. And so Lucy found herself walking through the wood, arm in arm with this strange creature, as if they had known one another all their lives. I'm in the pay of the White Witch. Of course I can't give you up to the witch, not now that I know you. Yes, she said. I can see the wardrobe door. This one's impressive. Thank you. No, 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 no. <sighs> this is the first time that you and I have used three sentences oh, in three. common, all in the same spots. Ooh. So here's mine. Uh-huh. I am very pleased to meet you, Mr. Tumnus, said Lucy. And so Lucy found herself walking through the woods, arm in arm with this strange creature as if they had known one another all their lives. I had orders from the White Witch that if ever I saw a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve in the woods, I was to catch them and hand them over to her. 
Of course, I can't give you up to the witch, not now that I know you. And presently, instead of rough branches brushing past her, she felt coats, and instead of crunching snow under her feet, she felt wooden boards, and all at once she found herself jumping out of the wardrobe into the same empty room from which the whole adventure had started. Oh, there you go. Three sentences in common. That means that this chapter has about 25 minutes worth of podcast potential. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, first time we've used three. Uh, I'm I, surprised you didn't use any of the sentences referring to sardines on toast in your summary, though. Oh, uh, we'll save that for the rewrite. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, I feel like you still did a slightly better job with the description and whatnot. Like I, I we only chose two <sighs> sentences separately, and your your third sentence said that he was in the employ of the White Witch, and yeah. mine said I had orders from the White Witch. So yeah, it's basically yeah. Uh, so let's talk about what happens here. Let's dive into it. Uh, so we ended the last chapter with Lucy meeting a startled fawn whose name we don't learn and he drops all his packages. Oh no, in the snow. And whatnot. And then we meet Mr. Tumnus and he introduces himself. Yep. He is a fawn. A fawn. Not the fawns. (laughs) As I made that joke last week. Uh Uh-huh. But, um, so Mr. Tumnus introduces himself and then introduces Lucy to this concept of, like, how foreign humans are, uh, within this land that she's found herself in. Uh He says, you know, are you a a daughter of Eve? And she's like, my name's Lucy. Like, yeah. so clearly her mom's name is not Eve. We've limited down her mom's list of potential names. Not Eve. By one. Yeah. Um, you know, it took us until chapter... 15 of the magician's nephew to learn Diggory's mom's name. So I suppose we'll have to hold off and wait to learn Lucy's mom's name. But it's not Eve. Pretty pretty fair guess, though. Yeah, I mean... Have you ever met anybody personally named Eve? I don't think so. Uh Uh-huh. Very uncommon name. Much, much more uncommon than Adam, which I think is interesting. Like, Adams are all over the place, but Eve's. Those are quite rare. We could save that for our name podcast that we do on the weekends. Chronically named. <laughs> uh, so we meet Mr. Tumnus and we figure out that we're not in Kansas anymore. Yes. And I I really do love the sentence when when she asks, when he asks if she's come from the wild wood in the West or whatever it is. And um, she is just like, I came through the wardrobe in the, the spare room. room. And he's just like, oh, if only when I was a young fawn, I had done better in my geography studies. Uh-huh. So there's clearly a school system here in Narnia, some kind of educational institution. Or there was at some point. Well, I mean, within Tumnus's lifetime, yes. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that is something that the witch would crush if she were to put Narnia under her thumb. Like, uh-huh. you gotta, if you're gonna rule and subjugate a land, like, you've gotta start by controlling and 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 crushing the educational institutions. Let's let's not start getting political here. No, um, I'm just <laughs> saying that this is this is the system that you need to start with if you're going to be, you know, creating a lasting dom- dominion over a, an entire land that goes from the lamppost all the way to the castle at Carparavel. Which I have no idea how far that is personally. 
Like well, this, you this have does, the map in your book. Yeah, I do have the map. This does nothing to give you a sense of scale of like how big Narnia is, though. I mean, it doesn't have a key on it. I don't think so. No, you're right. It doesn't. There is, however, something I didn't notice here marked on your map: uh, uh-huh. the island of Terabithia, which reminds me of the bridge to Terabithia. Yeah. Which has a one-letter difference. Hmm. Um. Hmm. When was that written? Well after this. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Still makes me cry. Um, so, summarizing, she's met Mr. Tumnus. He invites her to tea once he clarifies that she is, in fact, human. Uh-huh. Um, and she doesn't seem quite so inquisitive as to him being a fawn. Yeah, she's just like, all right, whatever. Yeah, this he's, works. he's like, wait, so you are in fact human. Uh-huh. And she's just like, wait, you are in fact a font? No, she's just like, um, I should be getting home. Uh-huh. And he's like, have tea with me. And she goes, okay. Well, Dumb I mean, kids again. Well, I mean, she already like meandered into like a mystical wardrobe and, you know, found herself in this strange forest land and didn't really question it. And was just like, oh, cool, this is... Yeah, it's snowing here. That's weird. Yeah. (sighs) I mean, that is weird. Uh Uh-huh. I find it interesting that um, this kind of... In all children's literature that I've ever interacted with, where some kid finds themselves in a magical land, whether it's Terabithia or Narnia or, you know, any of these other just, like, suddenly there's magic in front of kids like harry potter like it's entirely acceptable to these children they don't like bring out some logical challenge or like you know my mom told me santa's not real like it's and any that's the one it's always santa is the one where it's like the kid has to be convinced that santa's real or whatever like i i don't understand this kind of writing idea of, like, children just accepting what's in front of their face at face value, like, as as the initial instrument of a children's literature work that is very frequently used to teach lessons about growing up and, and all of the things involved in coming-of-age stories and things of this nature. Like, they're just like, yeah, no. Totally fine with the fact that I walked into the wardrobe and there's snow on the ground and trees and a lamppost and a fawn. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there are mythical creatures that have just, like, appeared. Yeah, no, no. I should get home. No? Oh, you know what? Sure, I'll have some tea with you. So I have two angles to that. Uh, One, I would say, is more of, like, the, uh, the in fiction angle of, you know, this is demonstrating like the this is the point of children in books like them being you know innocent and and open to wonder and open to the world not being as it seems and like things like that existing where adults are supposed to be closed off and closed-minded and this is you know the way to tell a magical story is to bring children in because they can just accept things and then on the other hand i feel like part of it's just practical where if you have you know a children's book with tiny little chapters and this this entire book is uh, 188, 189 pages long. 
you don't want to spend six or seven pages sitting with, you know, some kid arguing with the fawn being like, hmm, you're not real. You know, unless it's <sighs> the magician's nephew written five years later where he's like, no, we're going to have whole conversations about how we could get into other houses and into <laughs> other worlds. And do you know what we mean by other worlds? And like... This this in between places like our attic crawl space and we can get into other worlds and yeah. like having to discover how the rings work and like having Polly's character there as someone who's just like yeah can we get home okay if we can get home then I'll go sure like we even have Polly as the character that is the introduction of this even idea of like security and being able to get home uh-huh. like. Lucy doesn't go in, realize that there's snow and a tree, and then wander back out to make sure she can get back. She just, like, keeps going. So, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't... Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I think it's a choice of not having the room for exposition. And there's a lot of action here and a lot of conversation... And yes, but if you're going to of... make the effort to three times say, don't close the, yourself into a wardrobe, uh-huh. you, you are very aware of the fact that children will take what they see in literature and try it. Like, yeah. Lewis is taking responsibility for children not locking themselves into wardrobes, but he's not taking responsibility for children just walking into a stranger's home and having tea with them. I mean, if that stranger's a fawn, like, why not? But, like, he's not creating, a, like, a room for that kind of questioning. Like, once they do get all of the children there, Susan's character is looked down upon for responding in that kind of questioning and challenging and scientific way. Uh-huh. Like, if anything, that that's what all of the children should be doing. And the, the dum-dum who goes to the witch should be the one who's like, oh, I'm not even going to ask any questions about this. And that should be proved to be, like, the the bad thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I'm done with my rant. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got to save some of that for the later chapters. I, well, I mean, it's just frustrating. So, Lucy's dumb. We've covered that. Uh, <laughs> much in the same way that Diggory was. Maybe, maybe not quite as much and to the same extent. Uh, Lucy doesn't, like do anything to almost cause the end of the world as far as we know. Uh-huh. Um, with that being said, she goes and has tea with Mr. Tumnus. And And fun. toast. And toast with butter. And toast with sardines Lots on it. Lots of toast. And toast with honey. Apparently fawns are real fond of toast. <laughs> this is my kind of day. These are... This is my kind of meal. And then some cake with sugar on top. Which cake is essentially <clears throat> bread, so... I mean, yep. So some bread, and some bread with butter, and some bread with fish, and some bread with honey, and some bread with sugar. Yep, so if you ever meet a fond listeners, they're real, real fond of toast. As long as you've got a pack of bread on you, you are good to go. I mean, uh, apparently. And it was good tea, apparently, according to the book. Yep. So she goes and meets Mr. Tumnus for tea. And fun fact for the listeners, uh, that was almost a podcast segment that I really tried to put in at the very beginning of this show. Uh, For those of you who remember the first episode in which we did, in fact, mention having tea with Mr. Tumnus. Yes, we, we I tried really hard to get us a tea with Tumnus segment where each episode we'd drink a different tea and talk about it, but that ventured for too far into, like, the uh, podcast food review territory, so we decided to back <laughs> out of that. I think we just forgot about it by the third episode. That's entirely possible as well. Anyway, uh, 
So then Tumna starts telling her a bunch of tall tales. Or not tall tales, but ostensibly things that actually happened or things that were in the past. And I think that this is an example of like the level of exposition that Lewis is comfortable with is having someone tell a story about the land of Narnia as world building for Narnia. It's very meta. Yeah, it is. It's like, Uh I'm going to have a character who's going to tell you stories about all of the mythical creatures, the the dryads and the nymphs and the red dwarves and all of these different things that he's just going to like tell Lucy about. And that is how he world builds Narnia. Uh Uh-huh. So we get the impression that at some point uh, Narnia was this fantastical place. And I want to break out here and say in the middle of this, he talks about these like raging forest parties, which it's an interesting thing to get into in a kid's book. I know, like, right? <laughs> where he's just like, oh yeah, and Bacchus would show up occasionally and turn the rivers to wine and we'd all have a grand old time with the forest <laughs> nymphs and... You know the the whole the whole place would lose itself for a few weeks in revelry. And your your <laughs> intro character, Salinas. Yes. Who uh, is that? Salinas is a Greek deity. So you know Bacchus is Roman, and the Romans stole basically everything from the Greeks. Uh, the Greek version of Bacchus was Dionysus, and uh, Salinas was a companion slash tutor slash occasional relative of Dionysus, and was another god of like revelry. Revelry. <laughs> All right. So, so we've got two different gods of getting giddy with it. <laughs> uh, which I, I feel like we, we could sit and talk about for a little bit. Because, you know, we have this, uh, you know, running theme that Aslan is Jesus. What? You know, and, you know, in this land of Narnia that Aslan created uh, in the last book that we read, we just have random pagan gods coming in for a stroll. Yeah. Like, apparently those are real things. And they're just... They just stop by. Apparently. And what I wanted to get into was, as far as we know, everything that we have seen on Narnia thus far that is not like Jadis or somebody who got their veer rings, everything was created there by Aslan. So, did Aslan create Bacchus and Salinas? Or did they just kind of wander in from somewhere else? An interesting question. Um, Not something I thought we were going to get into today. Um, I think that it's interesting because in a lot of ways we have these different gods and deities uh, within human culture and history that represent different aspects of humanity. Uh So we have the revelry and we have the, you know, the seafaring and we have all of these different gods that that and and powers that reflect nature and human nature and kind of play into all of these different stories of the mythic things that humans are capable of if we were divine uh-huh. um and so i think that what this immediately draws to mind is just like the humanity and nature of narnia uh-huh. And, like, that Narnia is filled with the same kind of creatures as humans are on Earth, where they have legends about, uh, you know, whether they're legends or whether they're real in Narnia, but, like, what humans have as legend, Narnia has the same kind of grasp on. Yeah. And so I would say that it is just a connecting point uh-huh. of 
of legend and character and and again world building structure of of what it is that Narnia looks like. Yeah. And it's it's humanizing the Narnians. Okay. More so than deifying something uh, whimsical and mythical. I get you there. I I appreciate that perspective. Uh, so, anyway, what are that your was thoughts a, on it? Uh, my thoughts are, I don't know. It was interesting that those characters were were brought up at all. Like like I said, especially weird for a children's book. I uh, mean, you're also talking about. <sighs> Uh, this being written by a professor who who would have grown up in an environment where these things were studied much more heavily as cultural touchstones uh-huh. as opposed to like nowadays and um, like kids who would read this nowadays would probably not like i mean even me reading this i'm like okay i reckon recognize bacchus i don't recognize salinas i have no idea who that is i have to go look that up like are, are they not learning our children about the Greek and Roman pantheons these days? I mean, I'm very much the same person who's like, wait a minute, Jupiter, that's the same one as Jove, right? Like, which one's that? Oh, yeah, because we call them the Jovian moons. That makes sense. You know, like, I I know more about Greek and Roman mythology because of the planets' names than I do from ever actually having done any study on them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I... I almost get the impression here that there is a but bit But I do of... know that Morpheus is the god of dreams. <laughs> because I missed that in trivia one night. That's how you learn things. Uh, I get the impression here that uh, Mr. Tumnus is a kind of blending a little like myth and legend and the fact and fiction here. And See, I'm... but we also later have characters like Father Christmas shows up in this book. Like a literal yeah. physical Father Christmas shows up in this book. Yeah. So, like, I feel like I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. so he's blending some fact and fantasy. Yeah. But then when Father Christmas literally shows up, I'm like, yeah. oh, well, maybe not. Because it, you know, at the same time when he's telling these stories, he's still trying to, you know, get her to fall asleep and get her to yeah. stay there longer and lure her to the White Witch. And so it would not be surprising if he was like, telling some tall tales and not being entirely honest just to seem more interesting i suppose now i get it he fed her all that bread to put her to sleep <laughs> okay now i get it yeah it works on you too um sometimes yeah so uh though i do want to also bring up uh let's pretend for a second that he's being entirely truthful and he talks about the way the world used to be and all these things that used to happen but then it gets very sad and is like, oh, but, you know, none of this is or is occurring anymore. The You know, it's been winter for however long now and Jadis has her grasp on everything. Yeah, then, I felt a disconnect in the way that he talked about, like, how it's always winter now. Uh-huh. And also the fact that, like, he would talk about all of this reverie and things like that. And, like, when Lucy refers back to the wardrobe and says that it's summer there... And he says, uh, Mr. Tumnus says, oh, you who come from this land of eternal summer or something like that. Where, like, even just her referencing summer is making him be like, oh, you're from a place where it's always summer. And that kind of just builds on this idea of making it feel like it's been winter longer than Mr. Tumnus has been alive, but also that he's experienced it. You know, he, he kind of 
refers to his father in this portrait in a very young man kind of way. Like, he comes uh-huh. across as someone who's like a like a 20, 30-year-old, like, regretful of what his decisions have brought him to in his short life. Yeah. But also having memory of these great wild parties with Bacchus and the Wine Rivers. And then, like, also, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seemed disconnected to me because I have no idea how long the witch has actually been holding Narnia under her thumb. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Uh, It's been a very long time since I've read this book originally, so I'm not really uh, on the up and up as far as what information we get in this book and what information we don't. But I was going to question how old Mr. Tumnus is, really. Yeah. And, like, you know, is he 400 years old? And this is, you know, something he experienced a long time ago, and it's, you know, Janus has been ruling for centuries now, or is this something that just happened six months ago? Yeah. Like, we don't really get any clues to that puzzle. Yeah, don't know. Uh-huh. No idea. Uh, so, then he gets sad. He tells all these stories, and then he starts getting sad, and, like, unconsolably so, and starts breaking down into tears. Well, this is after she's woke. He plays his little flute, and she wakes herself up, and and says, oh, I need to go, and he's just crying his eyes out. He uh-huh. is a regular diggery. Uh-huh. And she's a regular Polly. Uh-huh. Just being like, your face is dirty. Uh-huh. Here, have a hanky. Yeah. And uh, then he, you know, we go through this whole routine of her being like, hey, what's wrong? You all right, bro? And he's just like, <laughs> that's my impression of a crying fawn. <laughs> I, uh, like, I like when she kind of takes control and, like, tells him to snap out of it already. Like, Uh you should be ashamed of yourself, she says. Yeah. And, like, he is. Like, that's why he's crying is because he is ashamed of himself. Like, this is a fully valid response. And Lucy's, like, knee-jerk reaction is just, like, you should be ashamed of yourself for crying like this. Yeah. And he's like, no, like, I'm crying like this because I am ashamed of myself for what I'm doing right now and trying to kidnap you and take you to the White Witch. Yeah. Uh, so that's a thing. And that that's a revelation that happens. Uh, apparently he's been, you know, not on the up and up this whole time. And he's been, uh, you know, basically lying to her from the very beginning with the whole, like, feigning surprise, nice to meet you act, being all kind, won't you join me for tea? Like, all been a ploy. And it gets her there. Uh, so I guess we have to stop and ask ourselves, why does the White Witch want human children? Well, we know why. We know exactly why. It's not something that comes as a surprise to anyone who's read the book before. But, like, when we're reading this for the first time, no idea. No no clue. Why does the witch want sons of Adam and daughters of Eve? And yeah. Why? No, no, no clue. And it it creates, you know, a lot of speculation. If, for instance, you go right from reading The Magician's Nephew first to going into this book, if you're doing it fresh in chronological order, then you would have to assume, you know, a ton of time has passed on Narnia. We don't know exactly how much. Yeah, but he, he's uh, the Aslan, the yeah. Jesus guy, yeah. said that the tree would defend Narnia for thousand years basically so it's been centuries at least 
since the White Witch has even seen a human child. But she's still got people out there being like, hey, if you see one of these things, I want it. Yeah. Like, this is a, apparently a very long-time obsession for her. I mean, it does seem that way. Yeah. Um, so, he breaks down, and Lucy is, again, really, really dumb. Because <laughs> he has to hammer it into her that, like, hey, you're the kid I just kidnapped. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'm telling you about this whole plan, and this is what I've done before. And she's just like, oh, well, it's it's okay, I guess, you know. Gonna, yeah, I can't be mad at you. Forgive you for that. And then he's just like, no, listen, you dumb kid. <laughs> you're being kidnapped. You're in danger. And then she's like, oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be fair, in her limited experience, I'm sure Lucy's never been kidnapped before. So, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair enough. Yeah. But uh, she also, like, she responded in fear very early on to him saying things about himself and then just decides to not be afraid of him because, you know, sardines on toast are good before toast with honey. You're stuck with this toast thing. I just... just... <laughs> I can't ignore that much toast, Chris. <laughs> Especially when I had toast for lunch today. Uh-huh. Did you have sardines on it? No, just butter. Oh, okay. It was the second meal. Just toast with butter. Uh-huh. For dinner, I'll have toast with sardines. Okay, we'll make that happen for you. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we have revolution time, and then Tumnus has a change of heart. Uh, we can probably surmise from the text that he's never actually done this before. Like, this is a thing that he's been paid to do, but has probably never done it. And this is Which is interesting. Like, is he just being paid to be on guard because yeah. he's the closest one living to the lamppost? Or is he, like, only being paid if he gets one? Because he says that he's in the employ of the witch in a yeah. couple of different ways. Uh-huh. So that would assume that he is being paid actively to stand guard, <laughs> watching out for, you know... Something that may never happen during his yeah. lifetime. Well, and... The witch, I mean, if if Tumnus is young enough to remember the summers uh-huh. and the, the wild parties and old enough to have enjoyed the wild parties, um, then the witch can't have been in authority for very long. If he, You know, like, she probably took up authority and put Narnia under her thumb and immediately set up guards and spies to defend against children. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's what you would do if you had a kingdom. Yeah, I wouldn't want any children in there. <laughs> I have a kingdom and I really rarely let children into it. <laughs> Very occasionally. Uh so that being said, uh Tumnus has changed heart because he's never done this before and now he's actually doing it. He's just like, Hey, I don't want to do this, this sucks because apparently human <laughs> kids are nice and you know, they enjoy tea with me and sardines. And, uh, and the power of relationship. It's easy to agree to hurt someone that you're not willing to talk to yeah. and get to know. But once you get to know them. Yeah. Power of friendship. And so uh, he's just like, yeah, screw the queen. I'm going to take you back to the lamppost and you can find your way home from there, right? Cool. Which is kind of a sudden shift. Also, I mean, kind of also a great personal risk to himself. Because he, he acknowledges, oh, hey, she has spies everywhere. Like, I could get caught taking you back. And, like, it's... 
it's my butt if, if she finds this, but oh well. Yeah. So, I guess, you know, overall Mr. Tumnus is a stand-up guy. Yeah. Sure. <sighs> he has a nice little house, you know, he's... He does, I mean... Plays, <clears throat> plays music. Yeah, plays a little flute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we take Lucy back, she goes back through the wardrobe, she escapes the nightmare land of Narnia... I had one other... I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah. This nightmare land of Narnia <laughs> where she had toast and sardines and cake. Um, in Mr. Tumnus's fine little house, as you just reminded me... Yes. He has books on the shelf. Yes. One of which has the title, Is Man a Myth? Uh-huh. Which I find very odd... Yeah. ...in a land in which we had kind of established... A monarchy of humans at the founding of Narnia, having previously read The Magician's Nephew, Queen Helen and King Frank were a a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve. Uh And they were set up as the royalty and the authority there. So there's no, you know, we then a thousand years later have someone in his house having a book titled... Is man a myth? Yeah. I find that very interesting, especially since later on in the other books, we have more people, like from right. Ark and Land and stuff like that, that are, as far as we can tell, Narnian humans. Yeah. So what happened to the humans? See, these are the kind of questions <laughs> that reading the prequel first brings up that would never have come up. <laughs> uh-huh. Even if you read them in the right order, you would go to Magician's Nephew and you wouldn't be like, well, there were no humans there. But what? Huh? Yeah. Read so, books in the correct order. So, I mean, that was that was a question of mine, too. Like, uh, maybe, you know, the people of Narnia aren't super well-traveled or there's some barrier to entry into these other lands that the humans are in and they don't come to Narnia or yes, vice versa. Like, that Narnia is the land from the lamppost to Care Paravel. Yeah. Like, the rest of this world is beyond Narnia. And King Frank and Queen Helen were established as the rulers of Narnia. Yep. Proper. What happened to their lineage? Ugh. We'll get there. Uh, so, anything... Will we? <laughs> will we, Chris? Will we? Anything else we want to talk about in the chapter before we... Do our rewrite section segment. No, I'd like to do my rewrite. All right. Uh, so we come to the next segment of the podcast, which we like to call Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Or the Narnia Fusion Tale. Something? The Fusion was... Buffet. Oh, okay. I the Narnia was... Fusion Buffet. I thought it was Fusion Kitchen. But... Oh, no, no, no. Fusion Buffet. <laughs> sure. Uh, you guys can tweet at us about which name you like better for this segment. Uh, we won't tell you whose idea was which. Uh, anyway. No, no, we won't, because you haven't been <laughs> listening to the last three episodes. No. So anyway, uh, what we do here is we take another five sentences out of the chapter, and we tell a completely new story with them just for fun and creative giggles. Uh, Kristen, if you want to go first. And if I don't, said he, beginning to cry again, she's sure to find out. I'm here, she shouted. What on earth are you crying about? I'm doing it now, this very moment. Ah, said Mr. Tumnus, in a rather melancholy voice. If only I had 
worked harder at geography when I was a little fawn. I should no doubt know all about those strange countries. That's it. So you're envisioning like a uh, a tutoring situation where Mr. Tumnus is just like not yeah, trying crying to go. instead of working on his geography homework. Yeah. I was like, Mr. Tumnus is going back to night school to get his GED, and he's just like... <laughs> and this this teacher came in. What are you doing? Uh-huh. I'm here. What on earth are you crying about? That's, that's fun. Was that your... That was your inspiration? No, I didn't have any inspiration. I was just uh. trying to make four, five sentences string uh. together in a... You've been having trouble with the rewrites for this one so far. I'm but... sick. <laughs> I, I didn't even... I, I got two sentences into this rewrite, and I was like, that's enough. That that's enough, you know. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so go ahead and do mine. Daughter of Eve, from the far land of Spare Um, where eternal summer reigns around the bright city of Wardrobe, how would it be if you came and had tea with me? And it really was a wonderful tea. Allow me to introduce myself. No said Lucy. I don't suppose there ever was a worse fawn since the beginning of the world. Ooh, interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I like I like what you did with that. That's fun. It changed the uh, atmosphere and the tone. Yeah, my... The one issue I have with that is that the cultural pervasiveness of Narnia and the wardrobe, like... I immediately know that the the spare room and the wardrobe are like from Narnia, so it puts uh-huh. me into a Narnia frame of mind. And that's just an issue of me not being able to separate myself from yeah. my my in- intimate knowledge of the the story. <laughs> the Narnia verse. Yeah. Yeah my 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 thoughts there were like, hey, Tumnus is supposed to be like this shady character. Like let's let's turn that up to eleven. Yeah. You know, and I almost envisioned him as kind of like. The fawn from Pan's Labyrinth. Ah, yes. Like this very, Pan is yeah. his name, in fact. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I. <clears throat> yeah. Hate to break this to you, but his and name like, was Pan. This this very supernatural mythical creature that's you know, we don't know his intentions. Yeah. But, so you know, at the end of the era when we end this podcast in Narnia and we rewrite the books uh, on our own, <laughs> this is the direction I'm going with mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're going to go all dark and yeah. brooding when I, when in I get, the way that I like to do my rewrites. Yeah, when I get permission from the Lewis estate to do, you know, the uh, the sequel <laughs> septilogy for Narnia. Uh, it's going to be YA fiction. Uh, Is it really? I'm yeah. shocked. <laughs> so anywho, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up with our last segment here where we take we a look rate at the... this out of toppings for toast. Toast toppings, if you will. <laughs> How many toast toppings would you give this chapter, Chris? That one works. On a scale from butter to sardines, how many toast toppings would you give this? I'm assuming butter is like the best end of the scale and sardines is the worst end. I, I mean, that, that is one level of your own personal prejudice. I really feel like that you need to explain your rating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I like this better than the first chapter of this book. Uh, things happen. I think Tumnus is an interesting character. Uh, he gets... As a side note, I feel like more happens in this chapter than happens in the entirety of The Magician's Nephew. (laughs) I disagree with that, but, uh, we meet Tumnus, who's an interesting character. Uh, 
he's he's introduced and he already like has a moment of growth. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's you know, we can follow up with him later and see how he's doing. Uh Lucy, we learn more about her and how dumb she is. Uh but also how forgiving and good natured she is and you know, she's you know, you know ignorant. Yeah. <clears throat> Not a doormat. Uh no. <laughs> no. Young. Yeah. <laughs> and influenceable. Yeah. Just, just imagine if Tumnus had, like, complimented her and called her pretty. Like, I know. Uh, all would have been over. Yep. <laughs> if he'd offered her a ring or something. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say a lot happens. There's some fun exposition uh, where we get to learn a little bit more about Narnia and what kind of place it is. Uh, and overall, I'd say there's not really anything wrong with the chapter, per se, other than, like, you know... I think it goes a little bit too too long in the uh, the back and forth between uh, yeah. Tumnus and, oh, I'm and kidnapping Lucy. you. Oh, well, you wouldn't do anything like that. No, well, no, no. I'm I'm kidnapping you. No, no, you wouldn't <clears throat> hurt anybody, and you, you clearly feel so bad about it. You would never do it again. No, I'm doing it right now. Yeah, we we get a little too far into that. Uh, but other than that, but who's on first, Chris? <laughs> Other than that, it was a good time. Uh, I'll give it a solid four toast toppings. Four toast toppings? Yeah. Well, by golly, I'll give it a slice of butter pound cake. Wow. So uh, that's our podcast. Uh, feel free to join us next week for... And a steaming uh, cup of tea. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a pretty good rating. Yeah. Feel free to join us next week for chapter three uh, when we send another kid into the wardrobe and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Just to see what happens. Yep. Science. But where Sis- do the guinea pigs come in? <laughs> I was going to say, but these are not guinea pigs. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, you can follow us at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, tweet at us at Chronically Pod on Twitter. Email us with you know your suggestions for renaming segments or possibly your own recipes for toast toppings and or your fan art of sardines on toast yeah i'd like that in a cuba style please and thank you uh email with those to chronicallypodcast at gmail.com and until next week when hopefully we will feel much better and not sound sick farewell i'll be to say ignore that much toast, Chris. <laughs> uh, we are here today it's to... It's called it. Chronically Narnia. Well, I mean... Like... Oh no! In the snow! Oh, I'm not even gonna ask any questions about this, and that should be... Go ahead. What? what? Say something. Literally anything in response to what I just ranted about for five minutes. Now I get it. He fed her all that bread to put her to sleep. <laughs> okay, now I get it. Yeah, it works on you too. Um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but he he's uh, the Aslan, the yeah. Jesus guy. Daughter of Eve, from the far land of Spider-Um, where eternal summer reigns around the 
not bright city of 